the America's National Parks podcast is sponsored by L.L. Bean. This year, L.L. Bean is joining up with the National Park Foundation, the official nonprofit partner of the National Park Service, to help you find your happy place in an amazing system of more than 400 national parks, including historic and cultural sites, monuments, preserves, lakeshores, and seashores that dot the American landscape many of which you'll find just a short trip from home. L.L. Bean is proud to be an official partner of the National Park Foundation. Discover your perfect day in a park at findyourpark.com. One of our favorite things to do when we visit a National Park Service site is to watch the park film in the visitor center. They run the gamut from outdated to corny to educational to even head scratching, heartwarming, or very often inspiring. Some involve famous documentary filmmakers like Ken Burns, and some are literally 35 millimeter slideshows that have been digitized. My oldest son, Jack, he's 11, is a big fan of the one at the Truman Home in Independence, Missouri. Like, it's his favorite park film. I'm not quite sure why, but there you go. Don't get me wrong, it's pretty good. And for quite some time, I've been wanting to do an episode on the Truman Home. But what I kept writing is so similar in tone to the park video. Not wanting to be a copycat, I kept shelving the episode and moving on to other things. But this week, I thought it was finally time. And I had a plan. I would watch the park video first in order to purposefully avoid doing something similar. It didn't work. Finally, it dawned on me, why don't I just see if I can get permission to play the darn thing and play it all for you? Lo and behold, the National Park Service says it's in the public domain and I'm free to use it. I'm Jason Epperson, and on this episode of America's National Parks, at home with Harry and Bess, the multi-generational story of a home that would become known as the Summer White House, now a part of the Harry S. Truman National Historic Site. The narration of the Truman Home story works pretty well without video, but I need to set the scene a bit first. The white, stately two-story home sits on 219 North Delaware Street in the quiet Kansas City suburb of Independence. Yes, that's its actual name. It's on a corner lot right next to other houses, if a bit nobler and more elaborate. It's adorned with stained glass and hand-carved corbels, but none of that is due to Harry. This was Bess's childhood home. In fact, Harry S. Truman, whose middle initial doesn't stand for anything, by the way, is one of the few presidents who never actually owned a home before taking office. I'm enraptured by certain presidents, leaving beside their politics or accomplishments entirely when they are just incredibly humble people, living in the same house for most of their life or devoting themselves to charity after leaving office. That's on full display at the Truman Home. You can see places where Harry himself tacked down damaged linoleum instead of replacing it. There's a very long string that falls from a second floor light fixture down the center of the staircase because the former president 
wouldn't pay to have an electrician install a switch. Actually, there's hardly any sign of the fact that a president lived there at all, save for a single piece of White House china in a glass cabinet. All right, I think that gives you enough of the picture. Let's roll the tape. On June 28, 1919, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, Harry S. Truman and Elizabeth Virginia Wallace were wed in the Trinity Episcopal Church in Independence. The wedding reception, held on the grounds of Bess's home at 219 North Delaware Street, may have prompted memories of their courtship. A courtship which began nine years before, when Harry, while visiting an aunt across the street, returned a borrowed cake plate to the Wallaces. When Bess answered Harry's knock at the door, it was the beginning of a love story which would last for 62 years and would be based at the home at 219 North Delaware Street. From that meeting sprang a courtship which would find Harry at the Wallace home nearly every weekend. He and Bess would often go for long drives in the country but many times they'd be content just to sit at home and visit. In 1913, Harry wrote that it seems like a hollow week if I don't arrive at 219 Delaware at least one day in it. After the honeymoon, the Trumans returned to live in the family home where Bess had lived since 1904. Bess's grandfather, George Porterfield Gates, built the house in 1867 and made a grand addition in 1885. Harry Truman acquired a true extended family when he moved into the house in Independence. Bess's mother, Madge Gates Wallace, and her grandmother, Elizabeth Gates, lived with the couple. Bess's brothers, Frank and George, built small homes on the property, and their families frequently attended dinner at the main house. In 1924, the Truman's second floor bedroom was the setting for a most welcome addition to the family. The birth of their daughter, Margaret, brought joy for the entire family at 219 North Delaware, but especially to her loving parents. When Margaret was eight years old, Mr. Truman gave her a baby grand piano for Christmas. Margaret tried to hide her disappointment, as she'd wished for an electric train set. But the piano brought many happy moments when it filled the room with the music of Chopin, Strauss, or Bach. Life at the Truman home featured many light-hearted times. Margaret recalled, Grandma's soft voice running on and the music of Vietta, the longtime housekeeper and cook, beating things and singing in the kitchen. Margaret remembers life on the back porch where the family used to eat supper on summer evenings. The dark trees leaned over the house and you could smell the lilacs and grandmother's roses. Bess frequently enjoyed card parties with her close friends on the porch, and Harry would often sit and read as many as five newspapers a day. Mr. Truman didn't trust any one newspaper's view. The Trumans valued their privacy, and this back porch created a private niche where they could enjoy a quiet summer evening alone or entertain only their very close friends. 
the living room was used for more formal entertaining. When Mr. Truman served as Jackson County judge during the 1920s and early 30s, he was able to remain close to home. But his 1934 election to the U.S. Senate was the beginning of long separations from his beloved independence and his family. During his term as senator, the Trumans lived in Washington when Congress was in session and returned to independence for the remainder of the year. Mr. Truman's election to vice president and subsequently president of the United States brought longer separations. Bess, Margaret, and Mrs. Wallace moved into the White House, but each summer all would return to independence, leaving the president behind in Washington. After their first summer departure, Mr. Truman noted in his diary, I'm always so lonesome when the family leaves. I have no one to raise a fuss over my neckties and my haircuts, my shoes and my clothes generally. I usually put on a terrible tie, not even Bob Hannigan or Ed McKim would wear, just to get a loud protest from Bess and Margie. When they're gone, I have to put on the right ones, and it's no fun. During those separations, Truman wrote of the White House as the Great White Jail, or the White Prison. Mr. Truman's visits to Independence rarely allowed him enough time. In 1948, he managed to spend the Christmas holiday at home, but most visits were more typical of the 1950 holiday. On December 27th of that year, he wrote that Dean Atchison called and I had to go back to Washington. Never been home in the last five years that something didn't happen. Because his visits to Independence averaged no more than long weekends, only a few memorable events occurred at 219 North Delaware Street. Nevertheless, Truman's home reflected the presidency. On several occasions, the president lit the national Christmas tree from his home, and on the night of his election in 1948, a large crowd of well-wishers gathered in front of the house. But perhaps the most significant event occurred on June 24, 1950, when a telephone call alerted the president that hostilities had begun in Korea. Before his first visit home as president, civic leaders directed a flurry of repairs and cleanup to the old house. The house received a coat of white paint to signify it as the Summer White House, while in the front yard a newly installed flagpole would fly the American flag whenever the president was home. Upon his arrival in Independence on that first day, the new president found 2,000 people waiting at the house to greet him. A cast iron fence was built at the home in 1949 to protect the family's privacy and to prevent damage to the house. Truman wrote, It is quite a reflection on the American public when the president of the USA has to fence them out to keep them from carrying off the house bit by bit. The president also complained that the last time I was at home, it took two secret servicemen and four policemen to get me to my own front door. Then I lost a couple of buttons and a handkerchief. On January 20th, 1953, Mr. Truman left the presidency and headed back to his beloved home in Independence. The former president wrote of his arrival at the old Missouri Pacific Railroad Depot. There were more than 10,000 people at the station. Never was such a crowd or such a welcome in Independence. 
There were 5,000 more at the house at 219 North Delaware Street. Mrs. T and I were overcome. Nearly half the population of Independence had turned out to honor a president who chose to return to his former way of life. Bess and the president began what they called modernization in the old house. Every room saw some change. Bookshelves were added to the study, new closets and floors in the attic, support for the main floor, and new carpets and wallpaper could be seen all over the house. Furniture and mementos from the White House arrived and were placed in the house along with the existing family heirlooms. Harry and Bess enjoyed a simple but comfortable life in the old house. Breakfast and lunch continued to be taken at the kitchen table. The president continued political activities and supervision of the fundraising for his presidential library, but still took time for his frequent early morning walks in the old neighborhood. Though he maintained a formal office at the presidential library, he favored the study at his home for reading. He'd sit in one chair reading history, governmental affairs, or biography, while Bess would sit in the other reading one of the mysteries she loved so well. The Trumans also used the study for listening to their favorite music on the phonograph. The large record collection displays their unceasing love for music throughout their lifetime. On April 21st, 1956, another family member was added when Margaret married Clifton Daniel in the same church as her parents. This event was the beginning of a new and wonderful period in the Trumans' lives, that of becoming grandparents. Photographs and other mementos in the house exhibit the love and delight they shared in their four grandsons. The president died in 1972. Bess continued to live in her family home where she was surrounded by memories of her loved ones. She once commented that, I was born here in Independence and hope to die here. Unfortunately, these days not too many people are in a position to say that. Mrs. Truman's death came in 1982. She was buried alongside her husband in the courtyard of the Truman Library. Mr. Truman once told her, I'd like to be buried out there so that I can get up and walk to my office if I want to. And when the time comes, you'll be there beside me, probably saying, Harry, you oughtn't. The home where Bess had spent most of her lifetime, and Harry had spent more than half of his, was bequeathed to the people of the United States in 1982. The home remains virtually unchanged since President Truman's last years. And today, it stands as a memorial to a president who was born in rural America, rose to grand heights, and elected to return to the middle America lifestyle which was interwoven into his very being. Of Washington and the presidency, he said, I was there more or less by accident and just never got to thinking that I was anything special. It's very easy to do that in Washington. I've seen it happen to a lot of fellows. But I did my best not to let it happen to me. I tried never to forget who I was and where I'd come from and where I was going back to. And if you can do that, things usually work out all right in the end.
could credit the narrator or the creative staff of the film. Unfortunately, that info is not available. I know it's a bit hokey and old-fashioned, but like I said before, there's just something special about the humble Trumans. Visiting the Harry S. Truman historic site should really be part of a full day in the town of Independence. You can also check out the other non-National Park Service sites in the area, like the Truman Library and the Jackson County Courthouse, where Truman served as a county judge, more like what we would call a commissioner today. There's an old jail to tour, a soda fountain, antique shops, and the like. Visiting the home itself requires a ranger-led tour. The tours are limited to a small group at a time and are first come first served throughout the day. You can get your tickets at the visitor center, which is a few blocks away. They have little golf tees in a pegboard on the wall. And when people buy tickets, they remove them from the wall. So you can see how many are left for the day. There you can watch the park film and then walk around town until it's time for your tour. You then go park your car on the street in front of 219 North Delaware, just like you'd visit a friend's house. A ranger meets you at the gate, takes your ticket, and walks you around back onto the Truman's porch, where they played cards and read the newspaper. You then enter the kitchen through the back door and tour the first floor of the home. One of the last things you'll see is Harry Truman's coat, hat, and cane, left exactly where he left them the last time he took one of his daily strolls through his hometown streets. If you enjoyed today's show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our new America's National Parks Facebook group. We'll link to all of our social media, as well as National Park Service resources, music credits, and more in the show notes at nationalparkpodcast.com. If you're interested in RV travel, give us a listen over at the RV Miles Podcast. You can also follow Abigail and I as we travel the country in our converted school bus with our three boys at OurWanderingFamily.com. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. From the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for visiting the national parks.